you for sharing your pulpit with me today. We've put in your insert, if you're not listening on the radio, if you're here, you got an insert and it's got some information about the children's home and you're lucky because if I get boring, you have something to read. <laughs> You'll notice we have not collected an offering this morning and you know it's coming sooner or later. I've gotten to where I prefer to give out envelopes as you leave church. Most of us come with our offering for the church in the morning. And I don't want to get in between you bringing your tithe to your church. That's what God calls us to do. That's the place where God asks us to honor his commandment. I'll give you an envelope as you leave. And if the Lord pushing on your heart to join us in the work we're doing with abused and neglected boys and girls, we'll thank you for that. But I want to share a little bit about that work. The passages that Tim read, do not be afraid because I'll be with you, are the passage from the Gospel of John. I will not leave you orphan. I will come back. Do you remember when you were a child being afraid? Were you afraid of anything when you were kids? Monsters under the bed and in the closet come to mind? Sure. I remember those things. I remember being scared to jump. Daddy said, I'll catch you. Uh, sure you will. But the Lord got his revenge as I sat treading water under the diving board for 30 minutes, saying to my daughter, jump, darling, I'll catch you. And she didn't believe me any more than I believed my daddy. Do you remember being afraid of just the normal things? We've had preschools at several churches I've served, and I would watch the children come in clinging to mama's leg, mama walking like a pirate, you know, with the peg leg, because she's got this child attached at one hip because the child's in a strange place with someone they don't know, and they're just afraid. It's normal. Do you remember being afraid your parents might leave you? Do you remember being afraid your parents might not? <laughs> I had some intriguing relationships in my family. My older brother told me regularly that I was adopted. I wasn't really part of the family. And they left me on the doorstep and my mother had taken me in, but she wasn't going to keep me forever and those other people would come and get me one day and they would take me away and he wouldn't have to put up with me anymore. And You know it's foolish, but when you're a little kid, you don't know how foolish it is. And you wonder, is it true? Is it true? And my mother would say, oh, David, don't say that. And after supper, he would go, she's just lying because she's nice. But you don't belong here. Why do I remember that now? I'm 55 years old. That's a long time ago. But I know it. I remember being afraid. My mother was sick for a while. I remember being afraid that she was going to die and leave us alone. I had a dad. I had an older brother who loved me so well. But we'd be alone if Mama wasn't there, you know. I remember being afraid that I would come home from school and the house would be empty and I wouldn't know where they'd gone a groundless fear. I never remember coming home and the house being empty and my mother having snuck out. She probably thought about it several times because as it ended up, there were four of us children and there were probably many days where she thought to herself, my only hope is to be gone when they come home. But she stayed. But what I remember is those fears at their core were all fears that I would lose my basic connection. We are created to be connected. And for most of us, where's the first place you connect? It's at home. 
In fact, there are those of us that think that God made us in such a way that the first thing we would learn was that we are loved. Not that we love, but that we are loved by somebody. Sort of goes along with what we're taught later on. We love, why? Because he first loved us. I got older, though. Went to high school, went to college, studied psychology. I studied about Harry Harlow and his experiments with rhesus monkeys. He would deprive the little child monkey of the parent, and then he would put a little wire frame and wrap some terry cloth in there. And when the child was scared, when the monkey was scared, he would run and cling to that little terry cloth figure out of all the other things in the room because the child wanted to be comforted. And a little styrofoam head and a little terry cloth was the closest thing to a mother who was there, and that's where that little Reese's monkey went. I took animal psych, and I learned about how animals, so many animals are created to be herd animals. And when they get cut off, from the herb. Some of them will simply, if they don't get reconnected, will simply wander off and die because they're not made to exist outside of those connections. I studied Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The very basic need, food, shelter, up at the highest echelon, but down there in the lower end of needs is the need to belong, the need to be connected, the need to know not just who I am, but how I am connected and intertwined with others. I went to college and I learned all kinds of fancy names and fancy theories for a truth that I knew when I was three years old. To be alone is scary. To be alone is frightening. If you're alone, you might die. Don't be alone. My mother, my mother knew who Billy Graham was, but he was not the uh, arbitrator of the gospel in our house. Tennessee Ernie Ford was. <laughs> 33 and a third RPM records on the stereo every Sunday. Tennessee Ernie Ford would sing and now, during the weekday, we might get a little country Tennessee Ernie Ford, and he'd bless our pee-picking little hearts. But on Sunday, we got gospel hymns. And one of the songs Tennessee would sing, Sometimes I feel like a motherless child Long, long way from home. You ever feel that way? like a motherless child. What an image to say how cut off, how bereft, how alone you are to be a motherless child. All of us, no matter how grown up we are, no matter how independent we are, we want to be connected. We want to belong. Tim has spoken in this service and the other service about the family of faith that we share, that, that desire we have to belong and to be welcomed. Most of us grew up, learned that at home. And anybody in the therapeutic field will tell you what a child learns first 
a child learns best. And most of us early on learned what it is to be connected and to be loved. But some of us, some of us grew up understanding what it is to be alone, to be a motherless child, even if your mother was physically there. We have one little boy at home. He, uh, he is a handful. We have many children who give us the opportunity to develop the spiritual grace of patience at the home. If everything was all right, they wouldn't be with us. This little boy, when he was in first grade, now first grade, how did you get in trouble in first grade? I got in trouble in first grade because I said a girl had cooties. That's how I got in trouble in first grade. I ate my big fat crayon. You know, he got in trouble at school so much so one day that they had to call the police to school. Now, we're talking about a first grade teacher who is competent, capable, been handling students for years. We're talking about a principal in the office. You don't get to be a principal without having some skills and some abilities, and you can handle first graders. This child was throwing books, breaking the windows, throwing the desk on a rampage in the classroom. You know what that teacher's sin was? She had said to the child who had been just a little active during class that he needed to go sit in time out. And he went off the chain. Well, she didn't know. In the the world we live in, some officials can know a lot and not be able to tell other folks involved in the life of the child because we have all these rules and laws that protect privacy but they don't protect everything that needs protecting. Child ended up coming to us. He is a little bantam rooster. I'm six feet tall. I'm a big boy. He'll stand right up to me. I'm scared of you. I mean, he's tough. He's got a shell on him a mile thick. He will tell you. You can't hurt him, and he doesn't care, and in fact, get out of the way, or, and we don't use those kind of words in church, but. But we have discovered over the time he's been with us, he has two deep secrets, and he does not want anyone to know, because in his mind, if you are weak, they will hurt you. One of his secrets is he is terrified of being alone. Because to him, to be alone is to be abandoned. The way he got into his grandmother's care when he was three years old was he woke up one morning, went into the living room, got it. It wasn't unusual for him to be the first one up in his house. And he went into the living room. There was no dad in the home, that's the mom. And he went into the living room and he turned on the TV and he went into the kitchen and got a box of cereal and um, there's no need to use a bowl if you got a box of cereal. It's got a bag right in there. You can just eat right from it. You know how three-year-olds are. And so he's, he's got a Arthur on the TV or big comfy couch or whatever he was watching, and he's got his box of cereal there. But after a while, he got a little, you know, bored with the TV. He's just three. Got attention span of a leaf at that age. And so he went to go see Mama, and he went in the kitchen, and Mama wasn't there. Mama, Mama. He went back in the bedroom, and Mama wasn't there. Mama. Mama, he went out and opened the door and went outside. Mama wasn't there. At 2 o'clock that afternoon, his grandmother came to the house to get him. Mama had called the grandmother to say she was gone and someone needed to get the boy. 
But from the time he woke up to two, he was in the house by himself, and it scarred him. Not just scared him, but scarred him. He's terrified of being alone because to him to be alone is to be abandoned. You will not put him in time out. His other great secret, we think it's actually the night before memory. He's not all that clear on it because he's three years old. But his other great memory of his mother is waking up in the middle of the night with her on top of him holding a pillow over him. We have put some pieces together that may not be the right puzzle pieces. We know that. But we sort of wonder if that happened the night before and it scared her as much as it scared him, which is why she got up and left the next day before she did it again. But we've not met her. She hasn't been found. But we have him. He's tough. He's hard. He'll break your heart. I mean, he might be better off if he were a motherless child. But we have him. We've got him at our place. We, uh, we make him comfortable. He's got plenty of shelter and he's got plenty of food. Lord, we eat three times a day and a snack after school and a snack before bed. And if you're hungry some other time, um, we have a soft serve ice cream machine down in the dining hall, the absolute most popular item on the whole campus. We could give up air conditioning if we kept the ice cream machine. <laughs> They'd be all right. And those things help, but they're not enough for healing. They will help him grow older, but we want him to grow up. So when the therapist sits down and listens to him and helps him express feelings that he doesn't have a vocabulary for, I mean, he's just a little kid. He doesn't have the words or the language for what he feels. And what he has done is to shut off feeling. Because if I shut it off, then I don't hurt. And so we have a therapist who helps him express without condemning. And it helps. And when the counselor is in his cottage, the staff in his cottage, they don't worry about the fact that he won't be alone anywhere. They just figure out how ways to make sure somebody's always with him and make sure he always knows where to find you. So if he thinks he's alone, he can just come and hang out with you and it will be okay. Nobody's going to make fun of you. You'll be fine. Just come where we are. It helps. And when he goes to chapel and our chaplain reads the scriptures like Isaiah 43, do not be afraid. I have called you by name. You are mine, says the Lord. I will never leave you nor forsake you. When he hears the chaplain read the word of Jesus, who is getting ready to leave his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, he says to them what? I will not leave you orphans. I will come back. It helps. When we read out of Deuteronomy, that word of God to Moses, do not be afraid. When you go into this land that you don't know, with the people that you don't know, don't be afraid because I will be with you. I'm not going to send you out there. I'm going to take you out there. And then again in the first chapter of Joshua, now when Moses dies, how would you like to be the pastor that followed Pastor Moses? I mean, you know, 
He's been their pastor for 40 years. And what does the Lord say to Joshua? Do not be afraid. The first thing he says, Joshua chapter 1, do not be afraid. I will be with you. You read the Gospel of Matthew, the last word of Jesus. We always hear about that great commandment, that last command. Go ye into all the world, teaching them to obey whatsoever I have commanded you. But the great word is the end word. Lo, I am what? With you always. Not just with you, but always. You are not alone. It is one of the strongest words in the gospel. You are not alone. You will not be alone. We are never alone. Even when we feel alone. Have you learned that you can be in the middle of a crowd of people and feel alone? One of the reasons we have a Methodist children's home because we know there's going to be boys and girls who, who need some help. There are motherless and fatherless children out there. I have yet to be in a church, either in this role or as a pastor, I've never been in a church that did not want to reach out and to help boys and girls in their community and in the wider area. People have compassionate hearts and they want to help. In 1872, we wanted to help. And that's when we started a Methodist children's home. We've been doing, we've been your expression of care for boys and girls for almost 150 years. But let me tell you just the other side of why we have a Methodist home. We know that just food and clothing and shelter is not enough. A while back we had a young lady come to the home she was in an after-school program at a local church that wasn't a very big church. And it had some moms who wanted to do something for some of the, the children in the after-school program who didn't have the home life and didn't have the educational opportunities that they might need. And they wanted to work with these children and help bring them up to speed and, and see if they could help change the future for them a little bit. And they got involved with this one family. Uh, this young lady lived with her mother. They were in town with mom's current boyfriend. And as it turned out over the next year or so, mom decided she was going to leave that current boyfriend. And she had two boyfriends she was deciding which one she was going to go live with. And they were going to be in two different states. The young lady was in middle school and she came up to her 15th birthday. And they had her kinsier. Everybody was all excited and the pastor and several of the ladies in this after-school program went to it. They wanted to, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, and it was a big affair, and they went with it and had a wonderful time. They knew something about the home situation, didn't know everything, but, of course, that was who they were trying to work with was boys and girls who had at-risk homes. Well, as it turned out, they were taking her home one day, and she told him that she had to figure out what home she was going to because her mother had told her, well, you know, now that you're 15, you're grown. And so you have to decide where you're going to live. I'm either going to go to Tennessee or Guatemala, but you have to figure out where you want to live. 
Well, the pastor and his wife heard it, and their first thought was not 15-year-olds are grown and on their own. Their first thought was 15-year-olds are young women who need help and guidance and a protective home around them. And they called us and said, can you take her? Oh, yeah, we can take her. Well, you know, DFAX is not involved. There's no money. Well, we can still take her because somebody goes out and begs for money, and that money comes in, and so we'll be able to help her even though there's no income on it. Well, good. Can she come next week? Oh, we don't have a bed right now because, you know, our boys and girls live age-based and gender-based, so I have to have a middle school girl bed in that cottage. If I have a high school boy bed, that doesn't help her. So it'll be about a week, and then we'll have a bed. So they took the girl into their home. Six months later, we had a bed at the children's home. Y'all know how that is. But that church stayed connected to her. And we got her into high school, and that actually got her up to grade level. Got her through high school, and that pastor and that church stayed connected with her. We got her out of high school and into college. They stayed connected with her. We got her out of college, graduated a couple years ago. They stayed connected to her. Went to her wedding last year. There that family is, connected to her, involved with her. She was on campus last week. Got a little baby bump. Got another child coming. We're all excited. But I had her on campus last fall shooting a little video. And what she said in the video was she had just gotten married a couple of months before. And she said, you know, when I was a child, I would go out to lunch with Baxter and with Carolyn. And I would watch the way that Baxter talked to Carolyn. That wasn't the way my mama's boyfriend talked to my mama. And I would watch the way that Carolyn treated Baxter, and that wasn't what I was seeing at home. And then when they had children, I got to see the way that Carolyn was with her children. And I said to myself, I want to be the kind of mama that Carolyn is, not the kind of mama my mama is. Twelve years ago, some of y'all were sending us gifts twelve years ago. The best return on your investment I know how to tell you is there's a little baby on the way, a little bump right now. But there's a little baby on the way that's going to come into a home where a young lady has picked a different role model for the kind of mama she wants to be. Thank you for helping us. Because the word of the gospel is this. As long as there is a God in heaven and that God has his people on earth, we will not be motherless children. We will not be motherless children. We will not be motherless children. We will be the sons and daughters of God himself. Thanks be to God.